Welcome to the Code Newbie Podcast, where we talk to people on their coding journey in hopes of helping you on yours. I'm your host, Saran, and today we're talking about management and mentorship with Tanaka Mutakwa, VP of Engineering at Names and Faces. I've got first-hand example of how impactful a mentor can be in your career, and it's something I won't forget now, like over 10 years into my career, I still remember just how useful that phase was. If you have a question for Tanaka after listening, don't miss the Ask Me Anything session he's hosting on the Code Newbie Community Forum. Just head to community.codenewbie.org and you'll find his thread on our homepage and he'll answer you directly in the comments. That's community.codenewbie.org. In this episode, Tanaka talks about the skills he looks for while hiring early career developers, what makes a good manager and mentor, and how one even goes about finding a mentor. After this, Are you looking to connect with a diverse audience of developers? Look no further. You can partner with us here at the Code Newbie Podcast, and we'll help get your message out to our incredible listeners in an ad just like this one, led by me, your host. Contact us by emailing sponsors at codenewbie.org. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us about how you got interested in code. When I was in about grade three in primary school, which is about eight years old, um, our primary school got a set of computers and created a lab. There were about four to six computers in there. That was the first set of computers that the school had ever got. And they asked parents at the school if they were interested in enrolling their children for afternoon computer lessons. And for some reason, which I don't know, my parents decided to enroll me, perhaps so that I'm not mischievous at home. And... I started attending those computer classes and we didn't do anything complicated. We did like, I remember one particular program was like a typing tutor program where you had to like try type in like a sentence in the fastest time and you'd have the record and everything. But as a result of being exposed to computing that early, later on as the school got more computers and computing became more common at schools across Zimbabwe where I studied my primary school and high school. And um, I was always good at it and better than most other students who then have got exposed to it later. Later on in my high school career, I started doing actual computer science or actual coding. I then got exposed to coding when I started doing computer science. And as a result, again, because I'd been exposed to computing and machines earlier, I was good at the computer science side of it. And I really got some good interest in it. Mm. And that mm-hmm. then obviously took me to studying it at university and everything. But the roots really come back to that small computer lab, which not everyone had the opportunity to go through to that. And my parents decided that it would be probably useful for me to start doing computer lessons that early on. Yeah, that was really great of them. So tell me how you got to VP of engineering today. What was your career trajectory like? So I mentioned that I then went to University of Cape Town for computer science. And after that, finishing that degree, I started working as a software engineer here in Cape Town and I worked at a company. The first company I worked at was an investment management company and I was a full stack engineer on the web team. And there I was a graduate engineer and progressed from graduate engineer to a mid-level engineer at that company. Worked there for four years before moving on to a fintech startup called Prodigy Finance where I then worked again for another four and a half years 
But what happened is at Prodigy Finance, I was one of the early engineers. So I was like the fourth engineer at that company. And in the four and a half years I was there, the team or the whole company actually grew to over 200 people. And the technology team had about 80 people in it. And later on in my journey at that company, because the team was growing so much and they needed more people to step into leadership roles or management roles, they were looking for engineering managers. And I applied for the role and I got selected I was always interested in leadership. I'd been a full stack programmer at that point for about six and a half years in my career. And I thought I would try out the leadership side of things, the technology leadership side of things. And also because I had been at the company for a long time, I had enough domain knowledge to help people understand our systems at that company. I had helped mentor new engineers who had joined in that growth journey. And it just felt like a natural progression for me to try out. So that's how I sort of first stepped into technology leadership. And I started managing five people while working along with them in in a team. And my tech leadership space at that company was about a year and a half before I got approached by another startup that had just got funding and was looking for someone to run their technology team and help engineers grow their careers and manage them and ensure the tech team is delivering. And that's when they were, that's why they were looking for a VP of engineering. The company is called Names and Faces. And about just under two years ago, I started there working as a VP of engineering and I'm still there to this day. So it sounds like fintech was a, a big part of your career. Is that something that you were always interested in or did you just kind of accidentally fall into it? I would say I accidentally fell into it. When I was studying at university, my goal was to work for what I would say an actual tech company, like either a software consulting house that builds products for different companies or a tech company that's building its own product. And how I ended up in the, at the investment management company was through, in my final year at the university, the investment management company was looking for interns over a six-week period during a vacation. And... I applied for that role just to get some experience in what real world work is like and also to make some extra money as a student. And while I was there for that six weeks internship, I actually then realized that even these sort of companies that you would think are traditional corporates like investment management companies actually do use a lot of technology and actually will not make like computer science graduates just like do basic IT jobs like fixing printers or anything, but you actually get Mm -hmm. to code and learn. And at the end of that internship, they were very happy with how I had performed and were keen to hire me. And I was also very happy with how much I had learned and the sort of mentors I saw were the company that I could learn a lot from and grow from. So that's how mm-hmm. I sort of transitioned mm-hmm. into that space and ended up in a financial company doing coding work. Yeah. And then, of course, that then led to the, the following startup, which again was in fintech and financial education. So we were, it was a, Project Finance was lending money to international students so they can study abroad. And because of the experience I had at another financial company, that, of course, helped with applying for that role and and getting that role. So it's not something I had planned for when I was studying, but I think it just sort of shaped up through that internship and got me there. What were your expectations, if you had any, of working in the financial industry and how did that end up being? Well, like I said earlier, before that internship, I actually didn't think there's much. A, a lot of the technology or the work that you do was just 
basic IT work, you know, like let me fix a printer or the computer is not working or we need to, we need someone to help us with, with Microsoft Excel or something. But once I got there, I realized that the whole business is actually backed and powered by tech. So with the mm-hmm. investment management yeah. company, for example, the website which the investors actually use to check how their investments are doing to top up more money so they can invest more or to withdraw their money is actually all coded up by the engineers of the company. And then all the systems that are supporting all those transactions and investments are all also coded up by the engineers at the company. So that, I think, was the, was the major shift that I realized that actually software plays a big role in any big organization out there, not just fintech in general. That was like one of the key learnings. But like there were also like other interesting learnings apart from learning about finance itself. You also learn a lot about like regulations and how you would have to build certain features to ensure you meet regulations, even if they're not like the most exciting set of features. But then because it's finance, you have to be regulated and uh, legal. And then also just in terms of the quality of work that you need to do, because when it comes to people's money, they don't want to be very buggy, like where maybe you're showing the wrong amount for their investment today and then tomorrow you're fixing it and it breaks again the next day. So also just more around how the quality of the work you do and making sure it's well tested and and, uh, correct. What were the things that you enjoyed about working in fintech? Yeah, so I think one of the interesting things about coding is the domain you code in, you end up learning a lot about it because to code a feature, you need to understand what its purpose is for and how it actually works and what it does. And by the time I left, I was well versed on how investments work and how I would want to invest my own money because I'd learned so much about it while I was at that company. And then I think for the education-based startups or probably finance, what was interesting for me or exciting was also it very much aligned with my life journey because I had also been like studying as a foreigner. Like I come from Zimbabwe to study in South Africa. And I, I understood what it meant when like someone is trying to get funding to go and study in another country. And that's the problem the company was solving. So it really aligned, the impact of the company really aligned with my life and where I'd come from. And now you work at Names and Faces. Tell us about what the company does and a little bit more about what it's like to be a VP there. Names and Faces, uh, we build a simple, fast, visual employee directory that allows people who are working at companies to figure out who's who at their company and where do they fit in. There are many use cases of it. A typical example is when someone's just started at a new company, if their company uses names and faces, they'll be able to familiarize themselves with the people who they work with. You know, the usual thing of you arrive at a company, people introduce themselves to you on their first day, and then you come back the next morning and you've forgotten everyone's name, but you remember their faces. You can possibly then take out names and faces and just check and it, it will help you learn people's names. But there's many other contexts and people who have companies that have multiple different offices. Perhaps you come from the New York office and you fly into Cape Town and you don't really know the people in Cape Town, but you know you've got a meeting with Tanaka. You can quickly check our names and faces. Which department is Tanaka and why do I have a meeting with him and what does he actually look like so that when he does come to the meeting, I can recognize him. Mm. So... That's what we do. So basically, we are a SaaS app. Our clients buy names and faces from us. 
and then we set it up for them and they pay us a monthly or annual fee to have that app in place. And we integrate with multiple HR systems to pull the data because most companies already have their people data in HR systems, but then the HR systems don't present it in a nice way or don't even have a mobile app where you can access it. Whereas as names and faces, we've got a web and mobile platform for you to access your data. So you first started out as an intern at a company, you worked your way up, then became a senior engineer, then an engineering manager, and now a VP of engineering. So you definitely have a a really wide perspective on the ins and outs of the team structure and what the different roles are. Can you talk a bit about what it was like going from a senior engineer to an engineering manager? It's, It's interesting. I think like I was fortunate enough, a lot of people end up in the role without enough preparation which can make it very challenging. So I was fortunate enough to start with the company I was working at at the time. So Prodigy Finance did prepare future leaders. So we had a leadership training program a year before I actually became an engineering leader, which I took part in. So that sort of prepared you for what does management actually look like? What, how do you show up as a leader? What are the basics, the, the fundamentals you need to be leading a set of people? But I also consumed a lot of content, so a lot of books, a lot of podcasts around tech leadership because it's, it was always a general interest of mine. And I also prepared for it by stepping up for roles that would expose me to leadership that would be quite similar to what I would end up doing if I did become a leader. So I actually then ran the Prodigy Finance internship at some point. So all the way from the start into like how are we going to market the internship running the interviews of the interns. And then once they came in, making sure they are settled, they're onboarded and uh, got projects to do and support them throughout that journey. So all those things helped me to land a bit softer when I got into the engineering manager role because I was sort of prepared for some of the things and I had done them in an earlier space with less pressure of having the title. Mm. This is a topic I'm passionate about because I do know a lot of people end up in this role because perhaps they're the best senior engineer on the team and someone just comes and tells them, okay, from tomorrow you are now the manager because you're really good and now you have to be the leader. And what often happens is the roles are very different because you now have other responsibilities that you are not necessarily trained up for or are not even really good at, which involve people. So now you have to solve conflicts between people. You have to direct the team. You have to have more conversations and build trust with people you actually work with versus uh, when you were the best engineer, perhaps you only help people with technical challenges. And now you have this whole bucket of people things to deal with. Mm -hmm. And the people end up having to learn in the role, but it gets frustrating for the people they're leading because perhaps they're not as good at at actually leading as they could be. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a whole thing around how I actually got into it is a great way to, to sort of frame it for how I believe engineering leaders should be prepared by doing some of those things that I mentioned, I managed to get before I became an engineering manager. And let's talk about going from engineering manager to VP. You know, being VP of something sounds very, very fancy and sounds like such a big job title. What was that jump like for you? In many ways, it was quite similar because I moved to a startup. So I didn't end up inheriting like a 400 people technology team as VP of engineering or anything. The startup is quite small. So in many ways, it was quite similar to the engineering management role. The big difference is being fully responsible for the whole of engineering. 
I think that's the one major difference. Whereas previously I was responsible for a number of people within an engineering team. And mm-hmm. I actually reported to, at, well, at the previous company, it was the head of software engineering who served almost the same role I'm serving across here. So I think that's the major change is like to sort of then see my scope as being more than just I'm managing the set of people to I'm responsible for the engineering team and its performance and its delivery and also helping the people grow their careers and also have a bigger interest in the whole company as a whole, like where is our product going and and everything. I think it's just a wider scope, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sometimes in tech, I think these titles differ depending on the company stage and you can have the same title but then executing different sort of roles or working differently depending on where your company is and on what stage it is. Is your company looking to connect with a diverse audience of developers? Look no further. The dev community is the go-to destination for developers to learn, connect, and support each other. You can share your message with the 15 million developers that visit every single month by using our powerful native advertising platform. To learn more, visit dev.2 slash advertise. So what are the core skills that you found that make some of the best developers on your team, especially junior developers, people who are just getting started in the tech industry? What makes some of the the best developers? For junior developers, the key things are someone who's keen to learn the software engineering or software development fundamentals and master those. So less focused on oh, I just want to learn this programming language and make things work, but more things around how can I write clean code that is maintainable in the future? You know, code is read more than it's actually written. So being able to write clean code that's readable is is useful. How can I write testable code or how can I actually test my code? How can I take ownership? People with ownership, like if I'm writing code, it's my responsibility to ensure it gets all the way to production and it gets there and it's working fine. So people with ownership and responsibility, people who are well communicated, so are team players willing to work well in a, with a team, not just work by themselves in, in silos. And the first thing that came to mind when you asked the question was someone, for a junior developer in particular, someone who's very curious and keen to learn and willing to ask questions. I think when you're still at the junior level, there's a lot of information to consume, but then there's a lot of people around you that have knowledge, whether it's at your current company with experienced engineers or on the internet, the communities on the internet. So being able to openly ask where you need help and then grasp and learn would definitely be like very useful skill. And what about a good manager? What are the things that developers should look for in a manager? So the number one thing I think is important is uh, someone who genuinely cares about their people. So someone who is genuinely keen to build trust with the people they work with. A lot of people you find when you talk to them are like, I don't want to talk to my manager or I don't want my manager to see this. I'm scared of my manager. And that's actually, when you're working with a very good manager, it's the opposite of that. Your manager is almost like a friend or 
appear, someone who you can have an open, psychologically safe space with to share everything. They know about your career journey, where you, where you are currently, where you're trying to go. They can give you good and critical feedback. And it's all in a good, coming from a good place to try to help your, your career and help you grow. But they also know you as a person. They know what's, what's happening at home. Like if you need any help outside, just general life help, you can almost rely on them to step in and help you with that. So I think that's the route. Like with, with a manager, it starts at the human level where it's like, I really trust this person is there to support me and really wants me to win and succeed. And then everything else flows from there. Like you obviously want to have some sort of understanding of technology, if it's a technical manager, because that's what they're helping you out in. But those all come secondary to, in my mind, the fact that the person genuinely is building trust with you and wants you to grow and can coach you to a place where after working with them for a few years, you genuinely know where you started from and where you are. You've grown a lot. How can managers best help early career developers get the most out of their positions and accelerate their careers? There's a couple of things. So there's a bit about understanding the short-term and long-term goals of an individual. The short-term goals help with uh, our day-to-day conversations, just helping you figure out which direction you should go in a day-to-day. But the long-term helps with understanding where someone wants to take their career. I mean, everyone is different. Some people may want to be a manager like you. Some people may want to just remain in the technical part. Some people may want to exit coding at some point and become product managers or something else. Understanding that can help with how you direct and plan the person's uh, longer-term career trajectory. I think as a manager, you've got some tools that you can help. And for early engineers, one of the biggest ones is mentorship. So mentorship can come from you as a manager yourself or helping them find a mentor within the company or outside the company that can help them learn about that mentor's experiences and uh, guide them in their career and show them where to go. Then there's obviously sponsoring the engineer. So helping identify projects that, that would help them grow and opportunities that align with where they're trying to go and letting them know about them or actually advocating for them to be involved in something. If you're a manager and you've got the power to get the person involved in a project that you know would align with where they're growing. Mm-hmm. Those are the two main ones, um, mentoring and, spon- and sponsorship. But it all starts from the very first bit, which is understanding the person's short-term goals and then the person's long-term goals and using that to then guide the mentorship and sponsorship and your day-to-day career conversations and also checking and keeping them accountable, checking whether they're progressing, keeping them accountable for what they say they will do and achieve by a certain time and helping them if it feels like they're struggling, just helping them be able to achieve what they're trying to get to. What's your biggest piece of advice for early career developers to best use their managers and take advantage of the support they have at work? I think one of the things that's that's important is getting feedback. And sometimes some cultures, or in fact, it happens quite commonly, a lot of cultures do not have a feedback-based culture. So you probably get feedback during performance review season only, which might, depending on your organization, might be like twice a year or if you're lucky, four times a year. 
but you actually want the feedback to be more frequent because you're working every day and if you can get feedback as early as possible, it's better. So one of the suggestions I have is to ask your manager for feedback as often as you can. If it's as frequent as every weekly check-in you have with them, ask your manager, do you have any feedback for me? And note down what they say and if they've got feedback that's useful for you, go and address whatever they've said and you can follow up on it in the next session. Another trick is, um, I say trick because it's, it's, still, it's still useful, but um, basically when you ask for feedback, if you ask someone for feedback by just by saying, what are the different ways I can improve or what are the, what are the things I'm really doing good at? It's so open-ended and it can easily lead to like some fluffy answers. So one of the suggestions is to be very direct and keep it scoped. So you can ask your manager something like, what's one thing I did well in this week's team meeting? Oh, what's one thing that I did well in, while I was building this feature? So then you get very direct feedback on specific things that are more recent. So yeah, it's, it's just like a, if you keep it scoped, like limit the amount of feedback you, you'll be getting and keep it more recent, that can really be beneficial. But the key part is just to constantly ask for feedback and then use that feedback to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And also give feedback to your manager. So if there's mm-hmm. things that you feel like they aren't doing or they've done very well, give feedback to them because usually when you give feedback to someone, you can get reciprocal. So then they'll start also giving you more feedback. If they see you're constantly giving them feedback, every time you give them feedback, they'll give you back feedback. So let's switch topics and get into mentorship. So you don't just guide folks within your company, you also mentor people outside of your company. Can you talk about how that works? Yeah, so... The people I'm mentoring have come from different places. One in particular I can think of is someone who once interned at a company I used to work at and then they're now working at a different company and reached out to me a couple of months ago. And another one is through a friend of a colleague I was working with at a company and they said, oh, there's this junior engineer. Uh, I would really like to learn and grow and I thought you would be a good mentor for them. So are you keen to mentor them? So how those work is... Because I don't work with them in the same company, we meet less frequently. So my regular cadence with people I work with at Names and Faces or the current company is we I'll have a check-in weekly. But then with uh, people I'm mentoring outside of the company, we'll meet for a coffee once a month. It's more open-ended. So generally, they'll tell me what's going on at their company, what progress they've made, and what challenges they're facing at the moment. And we'll sort of discuss different approaches they could use to overcome those challenges or any ideas I have on what they could be learning, books they could read, podcasts they could listen to, or approaches they could take. Very much casual conversation. Let's talk about what's going on at your workplace and in your career and where you're trying to go. And then I get to give them feedback and advice. And then a month later, when we catch up again, we just check in on what we chatted about last time, but then there's usually then new things. And we keep it going for as long as we both find it useful. So I found it's useful for them to have someone who's not in their company to help them and give them different ideas so they're just not boxed to people who they work with. But I've also found it useful as a mentor to just sort of hear how different companies' environments are like and also how junior engineers are growing these days and different approaches in which companies are trying to grow them. 
So it sounds like there's some overlap between being a manager and being a mentor. Tell me about how you'd compare those experiences. There is definitely overlaps. As a manager, your role has many layers or areas. At some point, you are a mentor. To some extent, you are a coach. But to some extent, you are also the administrator of that person's career at that company. So dealing with like, the person wants to apply for leave and you approve leave or not, which is more admin driven. So I think what I would say is being a mentor is a subset of management. Mentorship in itself, the main purpose is someone who is less experienced is paired up with someone who is more experienced and they learn through that person's experience because the person who is more experienced has been through a whole journey of the similar career and the mentee can learn from that person's experiences in different ways. And that usually can happen with a manager because most likely your manager has more experience than you. But of course, sometimes as you go further up the, the ladder, as a manager, you may manage people who are more experienced than you. So you may not necessarily be their mentor, but are more their coach, just asking, like leading questions to help them think of how to solve the problems they're dealing with. Mm. So yeah, I think mentor-mentee relationship is really boxed into we are, I'm just trying to help you grow based on my experiences being aligned with the experiences you're trying to get to. And it ends there. So longer term relationship, it doesn't have to be within the same company. For example, the ones I spoke about earlier, and there is no administrative thing to it. Coming up next, Tanaka talks about what people should expect out of a mentor-mentee relationship after this. So when we think about mentors, especially early career developers, I think we have this idea that having a mentor is going to fix everything. You know, we have kind of this this high regard for mentors and everyone seems to really, you know, want to find a mentor and it just seems like such an important thing. How important is it really? How how influential is having a mentor, especially in your early years of your career? Having a mentor will definitely help fast track your learning, especially if you have a very good mentor. So as an example, I actually had a mentor in my first six months but my first job, um, a senior engineer who not necessarily from just from his own will had chosen me to be his mentee. And I pair programmed with him for most of my tasks for that first six months. And he just took me under his wing and helped me settle down and understand what the technology career is about. And what I learned from him in six months would have possibly taken me a year or a year and a half to figure out. Oh, wow. I've got first-hand example of how impactful a mentor can be in your career. And it's something I won't forget now, like over 10 years into my career, I still remember just how useful that phase was. So I would highly encourage any junior engineers to try find a mentor. If, if they can find a very good mentor, it can really help fast track their career and, move, and help them learn and have someone who can guide them in their path. Mm. It's not the only thing, though. That's the thing. Having a good mentor does not mean that your career is definitely going to be successful. Because, of course, there's other things that you still need to, by yourself, because you're not always the mentor, you still need to be willing to learn and be learning from your team and within your team. 
we're learning from other resources like reading books, attending conferences and meetups, pair programming with other engineers. There's so many other things that shape up an engineer's career and learning part, but mentorship forms a nice aspect into that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so to answer your question, mentorship is vital and important, can help fast track someone's career, but uh, of course it's not the only thing. So having a mentor sounds great. You definitely mentioned a lot of really great benefits, but how do you actually find one? There's, there's multiple places you can look for a mentor. I encourage a lot of people that the first place they should look for one is at their current company because they're already probably other more experienced engineers working at your company. You already know them and have built up a previous relationship by working with them there. So it's easier to ask and it's probably easier to manage and set up like scheduled meetings where you're chatting with your mentor and everything. So the first place I would say is is in, uh, at your current company. If you can find someone who you've already been looking up to, who you've already got a good working relationship with, that's a good potential for someone to be your mentor. Of course, not everyone is working with uh, a lot of experienced engineers or perhaps um, can't identify anyone within their own company. That's not the only place. There are other places you could look are meetup communities and coding workshops. If you take part in any of those, after a while, if you've been going there frequently, you might meet people who inspire you and are interested in, in helping. Generally, people who do attend meetup communities or coding workshops are people who are willing to teach. They're open to, to taking on mentees. You can also look at in the open source community, if you're involved in an open source project, after a while of helping out to contribute with that project, you also may build an online relationship with some of the, the people in that community. And there are also potential areas for, for mentors. And there's also your friends. If you've got friends that work at other companies that are in tech, they may know senior engineers. Similar to how I actually have ended up mentoring someone who it was through a friend who knew the junior engineer who needed a mentor. So your friends can also guide you and help you there. And then finally, yeah, there's online mentorship platforms now. Some are paid, some are free, which are targeted at, at, at helping people find mentors and then they can be they can help you online. And so Code Mentor and I think Mentor Cruise uh, come to mind as, as those platforms. Mm-hmm. I think once you've identified someone, it's a matter of asking. So... If you let the person know that you're inspired by them, you learn a lot from them, could you possibly set up something more formal where you can meet at a certain regular cadence and they can guide you in in your career journey and then see what they say? I think I would also encourage people that to not give up after the first attempt because sometimes when someone says no, it's not because they don't think you're worthy to mentor, but then it's some people generally are busy. Maybe at that point, Mm -hmm, it would mm -hmm. be a disservice to you if they say yes and they can't even mentor you. So don't be discouraged if people say I'm not available. Just Mm -hmm. then go ahead and find the next person who could help you. And what should people expect out of a mentorship relationship. You mentioned that for your mentor, you were pair programming a lot and getting that hands-on coding experience. Is that generally what mentorship looks like? Or you know, what, what are the different ways that it might play out? I think it really depends on what you want and what the mentor feels more comfortable or feels strong at mentoring. But a couple of examples are they could pair program with you on coding solutions. 
review some of your code and give you tips and ideas on how it could be better or how you could improve it. They could give you resources that you can look at. So it's always good to get like resources from someone who's already read through certain books or listened to certain podcasts or taken up a certain set of courses. Then they can just give you a list of these are the good books in this area and you can go and learn from those. Then there's general career advice and life advice that you can get from someone who is likely much older and more experienced than you that a mentor can give you. Mm-hmm, yeah, absolutely. so there's quite a, quite a number of things. It just really depends on what you're also looking for from the mentorship. I think this question points out something that I wanted to mention earlier, which is before you actually go and find a mentor, try and understand why you want a mentor and what you would want to get out from a mentor. If you are trying to really improve your coding, your actual execution on the coding side, then perhaps you're looking for a mentor that's going to be able to code with you or to look and review your code. But someone else could be looking more for someone who can help them be well-rounded in their life and career. And then maybe you're looking for someone who will be more conversational. So let's meet and talk. What should you be doing? How are you, how are you communicating with your team? Are you making sure you have a good work-life balance? Someone who just sort of guides you more on the life side of things. It's really driven from what you want, but also what the mental strengths are. Now, at the end of every episode, we ask our guests to fill in the blanks of some very important questions. Tanaka, are you ready to fill in the blanks? Yeah. Number one, worst advice I've ever received is? To not study computer science because other fields were better placed for for someone with the grades I had. But lucky I'm happy I didn't listen to that advice and continued on and pushed on in computer science. And years later, it's paid off. That's right. Good for you. Number two, best advice I've ever received is? So this is something I read. I'm not sure where from, but it's a quote I've then kept on since I read it. So it says, even if you fail at your ambitious thing, it's very hard to fail completely. Oh, interesting. And that's the thing that people don't get. What does that mean? It means whatever you want to do, don't fear failure to the point where you don't start. Because even in Mm. failure, you learn a lot of things. Right, absolutely. So you're never exactly at the same place you were at when you try something ambitious. So mm-hmm. it's a it's sort of encouragement to to step into things even though success is not guaranteed. Number three, my first coding project was about? It was a point-of-sale system. I was in high school. It was a point-of-sale system for, for a shop. Wow, that's pretty complicated for high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we made it very simple. Just made sure when you bought something, the stock updated. And you got a receipt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Number four. One thing I wish I knew when I first started to code is? For me, it's to focus on the fundamentals of good software development. Mm. I think when I started coding, I focused a lot more on what particular programming language I was using. Yeah, I want to learn it thoroughly and also just want to make my code always work. But there's a lot... You can learn from just focusing on the fundamentals, which then can scale out depending, regardless of whatever programming language you're using or wherever your career goes. There's just certain software development fundamentals that even over the last 20, 30 years have still stuck on that you just need. So things like writing clean code, there will never be a point, I think, where 
that's not going to be useful and that's not going to be something worth mm. focusing on. Being able to collaborate and be a team player and work on a team, well, that's just not going to go anywhere. And mastering those and understanding those is more important than being a guru at C Sharp or Python mm. because I think a language whenever you get into a new environment and you're given enough time you can always learn but then then you apply the principles that that you learned from previous places in that particular language well thank you again so much for joining us thank you thanks for having me this show is produced and mixed by levi sharp you can reach out to us on twitter at code newbies or send me an email hello at codenewbie.org Join us for our weekly Twitter chats. We've got our Wednesday chats at 9 p.m. Eastern Time and our weekly coding check-in every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. For more info on the podcast, check out www.codenewbie.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next week.